Welcome to the Profit Recovery Podcast with your host, Ben Evans. In this podcast, we delve into the world of profit recovery and explore strategies and techniques to help businesses recover lost profits. Each episode, we bring on a profit recovery expert to share their insights and expertise on a wide range of profit recovery topics. Whether you're a procurement leader, a financial professional, or simply interested in learning more about profit recovery, this podcast is for you. Join us as we explore the nuances of profit recovery, uncover hidden sources of lost revenue, and discover new ways to maximize your profits. From auditing and recovery services to cost-saving measures and revenue optimization strategies, we cover it all on the Profit Recovery Podcast. So sit back, relax, and get ready to recover your profits. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the Profit Recovery Podcast. Um, today, we have a guest that's uh, been a long time coming for, for me from my perspective. So uh, I joined the recovery audit industry about, you know, just north of 10 years ago. I was a CPA that was working at a big four firm. Um, coming into the recovery audit industry, I, you know, going through a master's program in accounting, an undergraduate in accounting, I never heard of this concept of actually, you know, going out and finding dollars that were uh, overbilled, overpaid and, and recovering them. So when when I first ran into the company that I, I won't name them, that I initially started working at, I felt like I knew nothing, right? So I, I was a CPA, I knew financial stuff, I knew nothing about this industry. So what do you do when you know nothing is you either go to Google or you go to Amazon. Um, I, I Googled some things, um, but I went to Amazon and I found a book that was called Cost Recovery um, by an author named Rich Lanza. Uh, I went through that book just to get a, an overview of what our industry is, um, you know, covering things like accounts payable, but also this treatment and contract compliance and freight. I mean, really running the gamut of, of all the different services that are offered in this, in this uh, industry. Uh, after recording the first episode of the Profit Recovery Podcast, I was like, hey, I'm going to go see if I can find the author. Um, I went on LinkedIn, reached out to Rich, and he was you know, gracious enough to, to be willing to, to do it. So um, that's how we got where we're at now. I'll let Rich introduce himself, but he is the author of, of Cost Recovery and, and many other books and has a pretty broad and extensive background, which I'll let him dive into, but super excited to have you today, Rich. Can you oh, give us a little you. more background on, on who you are? Yeah, absolutely, Ben. And and thanks again for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here uh, today. Uh, and, you know, I, I wanted to go back a little bit in my origin story, you know, to, to understand how I got to cost recovery and the book. Very similar. I, I started in big four accounting, or at the time, it was big eight accounting. Um, <laughs> and, and, and just, you know, that book you mentioned, Cost Recovery, is, is out there. We'll talk about it. I had another one, uh, which is not something you can buy anymore, but, but you know, let me know if you're interested, folks. Um, but it was called 101 ACL Applications. And it's a big book. It's 638 pages. It came, I'm dating myself, with a three and a half floppy disk that had all the <laughs> programs. And it actually gave you 101 ways to audit, like with with data analytics. As uh, in, and what I, I kind of realized is that there was a rarity back in the 90s for having someone who had technology skills, but also was a CPA. And I, I just enjoyed working with data, and I worked with a product uh, that that was pretty easy to work with. At the time, we called it computer-assisted audit tools. Uh, so again, dating myself, they changed it to analytics many years later. And just to give you like a, a little bit of a perspective, uh, at the time, 
we used to do audits on site and we would fly out to a variety of locations. And one year we ended up faxing the, I'll call them audit results or control findings to the actual uh, client. And as, as doing that, um, the, the client just immediately, they felt a little bit on edge, you know, and if I didn't say this already, I said we sent it, we actually faxed them out to them. Uh, yeah. So it was sort of odd, but it, it was duplicate payments, uh, shipments that weren't billed out, things of that nature. And they wondered, like, did you come on site before we knew you were coming on site and and uh, go through these printed reports that we had because that that's how we audited it was with the printed documents and um you know in essence we had been able to kind of download their data and it led to a much better audit because we could just focus on you know these are the things we found have you you know give the person some time to explain what happened research it a little bit and then when we met uh, we can actually go through how to fix you know what was uh, identified um, so around the same time I was really fascinated with saving companies money uh, read books like how to save millions at companies and things like that and you know through kind of some luck uh, I ended up becoming the cost recovery data analytic person for uh, a cost recovery firm. And uh, by, by doing that, I, I realized these firms audit 100% of the data. You, usually when we audited, internal audit, it was more sample based and yeah. it was moving to some data base. But the cost recovery firms, it's like every dollar counts. So you really wanted to audit uh, everything there. So very fascinated with saving money data and realized there was no reference guide for the industry. <laughs> so uh, I embarked on a, a journey of contacting every cost recovery firm I could, uh, just calling them up saying that uh, I was interested in learning more about their business, how you know we might be able to work together and uh, just learning and, and from that, the book was born and many of the chapters actually are written by cost recovery firms. So I'm, I'm not a, an expert in all those uh, areas, but it was great over the years just working with many of them. Uh, and now flashing forward to today, yeah, I work at one of the largest uh, accounting tax advisory firms, Grant Thornton, and uh, just all I do now is align the analytics and automations that you could build. Uh, to everything we're doing, you know, from cost recovery type work, saving companies money, but uh, also just external audit, internal audit, et cetera. That's great. I mean, I, I love the book. So so just, just from the perspective of, like you said, there's there's really nothing else out there. And, and I think it's well structured to give someone a, a good overview. I mean, I, I think if if you're coming in, so when I've had new employees, I started off in the contract compliance world. So a very specific subset of, of recovery audit that was both focused on non-merchandise, uh, you know, uh, on the retail side or indirect spend, um, was working more closely with vendors to get the data. But it was important for me to understand what my firm was doing across the gamut, right? It was one of the big recovery firms, it still is. And it was important for me to understand, you know, what, what you know, what, how do we fit in with this, this client? And I think having a book to be able to just um, you know, you know, summarize all the different services. What's the value proposition? Um, you know, what, what are some of the hurdles? What are some of the challenges? Why doesn't everybody do this? Some of the questions that initially come in your mind when you first like, Oh, I guess that does make sense. There's an industry, you know, for this, um, for me, it's been very useful. And I, like I said before, I've, as I've had new employees that come to my teams, I've normally 
you know, either purchased or, or told them to purchase that book and run through it or, or handed them a copy of my own. So yeah. And, um, and the contract, I'm contract, glad you did it. I think it, yeah. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I mean, the contract auditing you're talking about is essentially, I find cost recovery a lot of times starts with like a payables type audit where you're getting yep. all the payables data, looking at it. But then from that, you're doing a supplier risk analysis to realize these are exactly. companies that, you know, we spend a lot of money with, we have a audit uh, clause, uh, we might as well go take a look at them. <laughs> and over the years, I think contract auditors uh, ended up realizing, hey, I can be a lease recovery auditor because I do contract audits of leases or, you know, fax machines, yes. not copy machines is, is a, a whole cost recovery area, et cetera. No, it's spot on. And I think that kind of leads in. So obviously, you know, prior to recording this episode, you know, you know, Rich and I circled up and said, okay, what, because I'm sure you'll be a repeat guest, you know, what, what topic do we want to cover today? Um, and, and what do we want to go through? And, and, um, and I'll, I'll let I'll let Rich jump in to, to kind of the background to it, but I really like what you came up with, right? And and what 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 I understand, and correct me after I say this incorrectly, is is you know how can we be using data analytics better to at the beginning of an audit to determine where we go? You know how can we map out what an audit should look like using the data and using big data and analytics principles? Because as Rich has said, like this is this is where he started, right? Like he was. You know, you, you were faxing results to someone. They were surprised that how could you have results? You haven't been on site. It's cool. Look, I'm using the data remotely. Um, you know, you've been in this world for a long time. I think this is a, definitely an area where I've seen people, professional industry can be lacking. To, to your point, you know, I think very often you'll see people that just audit everything all the same, which has its place in certain areas. But if we can be more intelligent, if we can be more um, strategic, intelligence is the wrong word. If we be more strategic using the data to tell us where to go, we can have a more efficient audit, which can have better results financially, create less friction, right? Because a lot of this is, yeah. I was just talking in a call earlier today with a potential client. A lot of this is about avoiding friction. You know, like, like if we're not going to, if we're going to go to an area, spend a bunch of time and, and get feedback from the client and talk to suppliers only to come up with little or no real result, we burn some political capital within that organization and suppliers. And so again, I don't want to, I'm kind of jumping ahead of what Rick's going to say here, but Rich is going to say here, but, um, you know, I think it's such an important topic. So I'm trying to kind of highlight, you know, if we can be more efficient about being strategic with this data, like Rich is going to kind of outline um, some of these principles, um, it can drastically affect how good we are as professionals. It can make us much more, you know, efficient, uh, have, you know, a better product, a better user experience for our clients, for those who are in consulting firms, for those of you who listen to this, to this podcast who are at clients, you know, or at, at, at owner companies, um, same concept. You know, if, if you can be more strategic using data analytics to decide where to go, you're going to be in a better spot to um, reduce friction and have a more effective audit. So with that, I'll, I'll let Rich, yeah. uh, I'd love you to just kind of do more of an intro. This, sure. this, this idea kind of came 100% from Rich, um, you know, coming from his, his background. So, so take it away. Yeah, thanks. And, and yeah, I mean, really playing off of what you said there, that friction word, 
in my three decades doing this, uh, I have continued to see friction. And it's it's when we go into a, it's understandable though. Uh, people, you know, uh, people commit errors, people commit fraud too. And, and it's not the computer that's doing it on, on many ways. Um, so, but I understand why everyone is a bit time bankrupt these days. It's why cost recovery firms, you know, continue because, and contract auditors such is that you, you really are providing a service to, because people just don't have that time, but because they're time bankrupt that way, do they really want to have more issues show up? Like if we analyze all the data and find a lot you know, potentially uh, of concern to look at, it's like, oh gosh, I already had a full plate of things to do this year. Now you're adding on five new things, uh, you know, to do. May, may not be the best uh, thing that they want to have happen. And, and many times that's, you know, what a recovery firm, unfortunately, will uncover some things and it, it leads to uh, more discussion and, and analysis. But it also can really help the organization. And I think that's, you know, definitely try to get to a story here that, that you know, speaks to that. Uh, but, but I do feel that most companies will also have this qualitative feel that everything's okay. You know, we've been running this process for the last 20 years this way. Uh, it seems to work well, but they've really never looked at the data to validate that in any way. Um, and what, one example, uh, you know, that I can think of is my, my largest data recovery, you know, or sorry, cost recovery from data uh, was I went to a company. Everyone was telling me that payments using, you know, from treasury and accounts payable is what concerned them. But they couldn't put their finger on it exactly. Like they just, I went around and it was, you know, within the first couple of weeks being there, I'm just interviewing everyone as an internal auditor. You know, what what are you finding within this payables process? And everyone just kept landing on Treasury AP. And it wasn't like they, they knew exactly what the problem was uh, and they were just afraid to tell me. It was more literally, they just never quantified it. So I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know much about the company. It was sort of, you know, first time there and anyone can do this. So this is a great, you know, test that you can run yourself. You take your open payables and you take all of the positive values in the open payable, which in many ways is like the, the, the invoices in that case, I'll call that the positive uh, values in an AP aging, and then take all the negative values and age them separately. So normally we net it all together. And what this company, you know, was okay. doing was they said, yeah, everything over 180 days from this printed report, mind you, uh, everything there is uh, netting out to like $4 million. So that's, and that was good for them. That wasn't a very high number for them. And, uh, you know, but when we looked at it, it really was $136 million of payables, positive numbers, and then 132 million of negative or receivable balances from vendors. So, you know, again, I, I know we're kind of creating work for people when we say, uh-oh, we think we just found $132 million of old over 180 day receivables that you need to go collect on. No one wants Turn to hear $4 that. $4 million right? dollars into 136. 
plus exactly. quickly, right? But but for the company, it ended up, you know, yeah, okay, there's a little bit of uh, call it denial, followed by anger, <laughs> followed by, you know, there's a little bit of that going on. But at the end of it, we ended up with a better process. Uh, they They ended up getting more technology dollars to not only look into why payments were being made on wires in treasury, but also then paying the invoices. But, but we ended up implementing a three-way matching system that made life a lot easier for everyone. And we added a few more people. So they, they ended up net-net, you know, there's that initial phase of realization. But then after that, it was all just, you know, gravy of and, and kind of lead, leading to a scenario where they were in a much better position, but also just happier workers, you know, at the end of the day. So it was worthwhile not only in saving the money, but also just making life better for everybody in the department. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, uh, that's a good segue, I think. So, um, well, I mean, yeah, t- tell me more about this concept of, I mean, I, and again, we've, we've had a discussion and I have to kind of acknowledge that because otherwise it just seems like a, a naturally leading question, but this yeah. concept of using analytics, I mean, so, you know, in, in your role now, I imagine you're not just recovery audit anymore. You're, you're at Grant Thornton, you're, you're supporting audit work of different types, but it's it, in some ways it's different. In some ways it's all audit work. Um, why? I mean, why, why, what's the sales pitch, <laughs> which uh, what's the sales pitch for doing analytics upfront, you know, for, for putting the work in at the beginning, as opposed to just kind of diving in and going where you go and following a set plan. Yeah, it's a great point. Like, so m- many audits, be it, a external audit of your financial statements or a process review or a cost recovery review, it, it will start with what I was doing, interviewing, flow charting, a lot of this, like I'll call it qualitative type analysis that's done where you're using interview type evidence uh, and you know maybe looking at walkthroughs of, of an invoice through a system to kind of guide uh, what the, uh, you know, the ending audit uh, uh, procedures that would come out of that, you know, so it's kind of guiding that, but it's all documenting the is, you know, what's happening right now. And what's great about the quantification of it all is that through analytics, uh, and we'll talk about this in, in a little bit, but, but, you know, you can use this like deductive approach and inductive approach uh, to really understand uh, the is, and you could do it without even talking to anyone. <laughs> it's similar to, you know, maybe getting a panel uh, of of your, you know, vital uh, statistics and, and trying to understand, you know, again, a doctor could look at that and pretty much tell you like, okay, I think you need to do this in your diet and your exercise plan, et cetera. And they don't even need to meet you. They don't need to, to hit a little hammer on your knee to figure it out. Um, so, the, and, and I feel like the data, like the data don't lie. I mean, it, and not that people do, but I think people again fall into that confirmation bias of just everything's okay here. And the data allows you to see what you don't know about the process. Uh, so, you know, I would talk to a variety of people in the process chain, but since sometimes they're not all talking together, it, you, you would miss some of these gaps. So the data also helps there as well. Great. Great. Um, I, you know, and, and going back to our, our discussions earlier, what are some of the obstacles, right? Like, so what, what keeps us from being able to do this at the beginning of it? And what are some yeah. of the common obstacles that you see? 
you know, I do think it's probably the uh, ju just that initial friction of uh, that this is going to be a, a deeper review than uh, having those interviews and, and, you know, flipping through reports and talking to people. We are going to need to pull data. So we, we you know, many things that have happened over the years is we, we've built things like scripts that will pull out data from a variety of ERP packages. So it makes it easier, you know, for, for the client. And I think, you know, generally most most cost recovery other firms have just gotten better at those ERP systems they they know I, I don't want to name names or such but you know go to that reporting module of that ERP system and uh, you can just highlight the fields that you want and get the data out but 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 that is an obstacle because if you're talking to somebody in finance they need to call IT and again nothing wrong with IT but they're time bankrupt too they have a lot of projects to work on and when you show up and say you know we need to download the entire history of payments and purchase orders and vendors and such they go Ooh, you know is this a priority can i do this in six months <laughs> you know so if anything you can do to make that easier on it is you know welcomed uh, as well and uh yeah I, I i think those might be the two top ones at least that i've seen is is just getting over the the I keep getting back to the people aspect of this, uh, trying to make them comfortable that what we're doing here is only going to highlight things that will hopefully make your day better at the end of the day. Yeah. No, I, I, and honestly, as you're talking through that, that that's true, right? I mean, that if, if, if I have a main contact and I go from, as a consulting individual who's working with clients, if, if I have a main contact, you know, we've sold them on the idea they're the champion, they're the recovery audit, you know, person at that organization. And I say, Hey, we want to hold a bunch of interviews. That's, there's not gonna be a huge amount of pushback. If I say, Hey, I need this and that, and this export from these systems. It's like, Oh, Hey, 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 Whoa. Do we really need to do all that this early? Let's, let's see if we find some stuff or let's see where, you know, whatever else. And, and I think, I think I get that. Like it's, it's human nature, right? Like to say, okay, that's a bigger, that's a bigger ask. We're, we're now, you know, as you use the analogy, we're now pulling blood panels as a doctor, as opposed to just, you know, knocking your knee with a, with a, with a hammer, but um, it's worth it. I mean, I think, I think we're saying for, for, a, for a significant project, yeah. if, if we can, if we can be educated on the systems and be efficient about how to pull that while that is a big, you know, ask initially, we're going to have a lot less, you know, bugging people who don't need to be bugged because we're able to be more strategic and precise about where, where we're doing our work and where we're not doing our work. So, so I think, I think an education process from, from an outside consultant's perspective and, and, and I think it still applies for an internal, you know, someone that like company like Walmart, we had Jason Henbest on the episode last week, right? So for someone like Jason Henbest, I think it applies for his as well. Um, while you might have that initial pushback on pulling that data, um, if, if you can be strategic about how you're communicating, you know, we need to do this, you, you, pro you can probably be in a better spot where there's less friction, there's less effort for the people that are kind of putting their hands up as, and saying this is difficult um, over the long run. Is that, yeah. is that a fair 
Yeah, I think there's less da- there's less to pull. You know, normally we would come back and the, people would have to pull invoices, et cetera. Uh, whereas m- much of that information is usually in the data itself. I mean, <laughs> paper invoices are, you know, starting to become even a, uh, or, or at least PDFs now, you know, as opposed to being on paper. Um, again, I'm dating myself, but it, it's coming down to the data is really where it all is. So if we could pull all that data, we don't have to have you end up pulling a lot of uh, the actual uh, supporting documentation. Uh, and th- the other one is it helps sell the story. And I think that that was the point I was trying to make there was that it, it really quantifies the problem uh, really well so that you can do that risk assessment much better. You can identify, you know, the, the we don't need to do let's say contract audits of 10 uh, areas this year, we could focus on these three and that's going to give us like 80% of the benefit. And furthermore, let, let, you know, those three are, you know, they're kind of a little bit on fire right now <laughs> and we really need to yeah. prioritize folk. Yeah. But put the people process technology to it because uh, yeah, with, with all the priorities, I keep going back to the time bankruptcy in our, you know, business world today, you, you really need to sell your story. So data helps you sell that story. No, I like that. Yeah. And, and you know, using contract audit as an example, I mean, you know, knowing which audits to take off during that year, even when we perform contract audits and we're working with the supplier, you know, one of the first things we're wanting to get from them is a line added billing detail report. Um, something that's exported directly out of their financial system, as opposed to getting, you know, a sample of invoices, starting to gather documentation. Um, we want to get that line on a billing detail report along with the contracts initially so that we can do exactly what you're saying. Hey, let's look and see, you know, what we can just see in the larger data, you know, what, like what trends and patterns can we see in the larger data? And and that might guide how we how we start requesting more detailed documentation and we, how we can be more precise and less kind of onerous in, in doing that. So, OK, yeah. so. Go ahead. It may make sense to talk about this deductive inductive approach. Like I can give a few examples there. Yeah, as jump well in of, there. Like what, what do you mean it, by deductive and inductive? Because yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and it's something a professor listened to what I was talking about. A lot of you know the work that I'd been doing, and I, I will admit I was more into the trees on it. You know, really working with it, and and the professor looked at it from a uh, you know forest kind of view, and said, it, so an example would be. You know, we we can run reports like, uh, you know, payments that are made on a weekend. And I, I don't like to use the F word too much, you know, the fraud word, because that yeah. that also, if you want to create some friction in an organization, <laughs> just say, well, you know, we're here to find fraud. You know, that that's not why we're here, um, gen- generally speaking. But but if you trip over it, uh, you know, that is one. But but one way is is weekend payments, uh, people coming in on a weekend to avoid, uh, you know, uh, anyone looking at them, uh, doing it at night. So running like at night type uh, reporting. Um, Round dollar payments can be another one that's just odd. In that wire payment discussion that we had before, you know, that example, that that was what was happening. We, We were running behind on paying our vendors and they were about to shut us off. So we said, uh oh, send them 10 million, you know, like, like keep them happy. But then no one yeah. would go back to reconcile the 10 million. So it's not that the, the round dollar payment or the weekend payment, a lot of people work weekends, um, are, are, you know, fraudulent or it, it's kind of, but it, it shows some potential oddness in the process that, so, but, but on the deductive side, 
we came up with these reports like that over the years. Um, the, the number of in-sequence invoice numbers, so the invoice numbers in perfect sequence, um, it's just odd. You know, it, it means, it could mean that somebody fabricated those. It could also mean that you're working with a vendor that doesn't have a lot of other clients. <laughs> you're the only client, you know, and, and from a supplier risk point of view, you know, if, if they are supporting a, a pretty major uh, a part of your organization, you may want to get another supplier, you know, just, just to yeah. make sure you're covered. Um, but any, again, all of these reports are not an issue, but they are more deductive in that over the years, we identified these reports as like symptomatic of problems. Um, and going to the trending point, I'll, I'll explain inductive, you know, with some examples too, but the uh, uh, deductive side of it, what I find is that a lot of people like to go to a benchmarks. So they may go to a company that is an, or an association that has benchmarks on, you know, number of uh, manual versus automated invoices uh, that we're processing through our system. And, you know, it should be whatever, 80% automated or something. Um, those kind of benchmarks, people have called, you know, fast food. Uh, they're, they're initially satisfying, but then they lead to no lasting benefit because people will look at it and then start saying, well, uh, we're different from those companies. We have a different process, different set of vendors. We have to be you know, a bit different. But trending the report to themselves can be very valuable. So even with that deductive approach, if you trend that over time, you can start to you know, really get an understanding that, yeah, we work weekends. But in, you know, call it the summer of, of you know, uh, 2023, we went up by 20% in that time frame. We might want to look at that time frame a little bit more in a more focused way because it, it might highlight that we had more processing errors during that time. People were just simply working later. You know, you can actually start looking at when invoices are being input and start getting a, a real picture um, using that deductive approach of that report that you think is kind of problematic and then trending it over time. Does, does that make sense? Makes a ton of sense. So, I mean, the way, the way I'm hearing it to, to frame it a different way would be, you know, instead of benchmarking, you know, the fast food version against someone else or an industry, um, benchmark against yourself over time, you know, seeing exactly. how we're, because it, it makes... I mean, you know, they, they say the same thing when you start going to the gym, right? Like instead of paying attention to someone else, what they're doing, see, make sure that you're doing better every single day. Right. But exactly. I, I think in this case, you're talking about finding fraud and exceptions, but, but, my, my, but, but still it's going to, it's going to stick out, right? Hey, normally we act this way. And so when we see something that doesn't act this way, we should ask some follow-up questions. We should do some digging um, where it's very easy to dismiss. Well, the industry does this. Well, we're different in the industry. That's not a, that's a that's a conglomeration of a bunch of different people, right? A uh, bunch right. of different organizations. But when it's you, it's like, hey, you know, Ben always does this. He always, you know, gets a Big Mac on Fridays. You know, when we suddenly see transaction that shows that I'm, you know, I'm eating at Subway, you know, something's going on, like, right. <laughs> Because that guy eats Big Macs on Fridays, right? Yeah, and and uh, and and maybe I'll 
jump over to the inductive approach because that even plays more into uh, the, the trending better. And, and so the deductive is more like looking down with ideas about reports that you you know, think are going to be problems or uh, create more processing errors or fraud in, in your process flow. But from an inductive approach, um, you, you could just look even at like supplier values and volumes over time. You know, like that's the most simple one. Um, but but also looking at enter, you know, people that are entering the invoices, looking at their volumes and values over time. Uh, it's, it's a, you know, kind of a simple approach. And I'll go like more, and, and that other example I had before of the aging of the positive values and negative values in the AP aging, again, I was really just trying to understand what I was looking at and, and kind of inducing that up from the data as opposed to, you know, making uh, assumptions and saying, I'm going to look for every duplicate payment where, you know, the vendor, the invoice, and the date are the same, you know, because that over, based on past uh, work, my hypothesis is that will find a duplicate payment. It was more even just, you know, potentially bubbling up from the data itself. Uh, so a couple more uh, examples that get a little bit, you know, deeper here is taking a look at, at enters that work with a given vendor or with a given area of spend. A lot of times companies do that, you know, we'll have uh, a, a certain processor for all of the fuel bills or all of the uh, maintenance parts, and then looking for the 1% of time that somebody else did their job, you know, and, and it could be a vacation, like people need time yeah. off. Uh, but it could be a lot of other things. And and you could use that like outlier type analysis as well for everything. I mean, you, you could almost say, you know, this supplier works in this or, or is purchased by this department a lot. But then this one time they posted to this other department. And uh, yeah, and, there, and there's probably, again, a hundred examples we can give. But I think the person entering it and approving it too uh, tends to be the, you know, one that can highlight something you might want to go look into. No, I like that. So, so if I understand, you know, kind of the, the way you're using inductive and, and deductive, I mean, inductive, you're really, you're basically saying, hey, let the data tell you <laughs> what's happening, what bubbles up. I think this is a term that you use from the data. Or right. deductive is kind of coming, you know, coming into it with a hypothesis, right? Like I'm looking for this. And this is what that looks like. And I'm going to go find that. Or inductive is just, just dig into the data. Like, like that, that $4 million example you used, you were just kind of saying, well, what, what is that 4 million? What's it made of? What are the components of it? And as you started to look at that, the issues presented themselves. You didn't go looking for a specific issue. Is that is that a good understanding of kind of how you're it using is. that? Yeah, and, and I really feel you need both because you never know which one is going to hit. Yeah, in, in yeah, you'll have questions, right? Clients, you'll, you'll, I mean, again, coming from a consulting side, clients will say, well, you know, we have concerns about this specific type of issue. Did you see anything in there? Right. Um, and in those cases, yeah, we need deductive approaches to be able to say, yeah, we did look, you know, we did gather this type of data. We did these types of um tests we did these type of, of procedures to ensure that that's not case that that's not happening but i love the i love the open mindedness of just saying hey we also need to pull back from that and and say you know well, what is happening 
Like, like what is the data telling us? You know, because there, there might be things that, you, you, yeah, there's a lot of things that fall into certain buckets. We're going to see certain types of duplicate payments. And we all could, you know, sub-bucket those duplicate payments into different categories of things that happen. P cards and also gets paid out of the main system, gets, you know, paid at, at, at a site, but also at corporate. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways that those things can happen. Um, but how often are we missing something that's unique? That's, that's not, you know, but could be very significant because we don't kind of let the data tell the story. And, and trending it by vendor helps, like in I know going deep on the duplicate payment example, because it is a very common area for folks to look yeah. into, uh, is, is just yeah. doing it by supplier. There are suppliers out there, I won't name them, but but that tend to have the same amount charged over and over and over again. And if you, you know, initially ran your due pay report, it's going to flag it, right? But over time, you start to, you know, de-risk them, you know, in your analysis and say, you know, maybe we'll look at something that um, is is a large dollar amount that that's outside of the amount that they're constantly charging us. Um, and, but it, it's a way of trending it. And, and you touch on something I did want to mention, kind of gets to the longer term baseline a company against themselves is really every company is unique in why they have duplicate payments and other overpayments. And if there is a way to track that in some way as you're going through it, I always think the duplicate payment example is the best one. Uh, statement credits with a vendor uh, is another one. Just tracking, like, how did we get here? You know, yeah. um, it is a, a way to also track over time. Are we getting better? And, and an example might be we instituted a new invoice uh, uh, pattern that we should, whenever we enter a date, you know, it's entered year, year, dash, month, month, dash, you know, why, and that way it, it allows us to make sure that we don't enter dates differently so that when the system looks at that invoice number, it doesn't flag it anymore because it sees it as two different dates, um, you know, putting words before the dates, but, you know, so as long as you can come up with like an approach there and everyone follows it, you have a much better shot of not paying the due pay, um, but, but then tracking that and saying, you know, person entered invoice number differently, uh, that, that would be, uh, you know, something that that's useful to track. That kind of takes that next step. Okay. And, and, uh, and, and I've got kind of notes that, you know, from our, our past discussion here, but um, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, Benford's law and, and even, you know, some of the applications that you yeah. were kind of experimenting with on, on text and things like that. Yep. Um, and, and I'd love to, if you want to dive into that, that's great. I mean, what are, what are some other things you're seeing? I mean, what are, what are other types of analytics approaches that you're, you're, you're taking and seeing, kind of a unique value from these days. Yeah, let, let's, you know, I'll kind of give you a, a, an inductive and then a deductive one, you know. Um, I, I, I think right now I'm noticing a lot of the companies we're talking about in the payables, procure-to-pay area, they are looking for cash. I mean, it, overpayments, um, trying to kind of, you know, grab back any money that they can at this stage uh, is helping them. Uh, I don't know if everybody's as flush with cash. Interest rates are higher, so it. it, it but but I think this is a, an evergreen thing to do. You know, this is why it's always like a good idea to have these kind kind of uh, uh, work being done. Um, but yeah, do, obviously, kind of running reports around duplicate payments, maybe taking a look at 
if the average payment to that vendor is a certain amount, looking for ones that are far above that average to that vendor, and just seeing did somebody kind of finger uh, the the uh, and forget and, and add a different uh, integer to that number by mistake, yeah. so it ended up being one more you know uh, zero at the end of it. Uh, but days payable outstanding, like calculating for each vendor. What is your average DPO? Um, and and you know a lot of systems will will manage this from a terms management point of view, but uh, you know there are exceptions to that all the time. People can enter in uh, a you know rush payment or uh, just I don't I'm I'm actually uncertain why it happens as much, other than I think many times people want to clear their desk off <laughs> and, and just sort of have the payments go out or they don't have that terms management type of system that's built and uh, the payments just you know go out um it, it, from a an inductive one i'll give you kind of a fun example here there, there is something called benford's law where it will look at like the first couple of digits of a number and you can summarize all of the values in a population by that so it's odd like normally you would say let's summarize by amount which again is another useful thing to do just summarize by amount have all your amounts in like a big pivot table of amounts and look at the volumes by quarter and just look at how that is trending you'd be surprised how you know how level that can be uh and and especially when you bring it down to the first two digits of numbers that leveling happens even more and if you go down to the first digit of number uh that i believe that's where benford's law really plays into it um that it's it's almost you know eerie how well everything lines up to benford's law where one is like 30 something percent of numbers the number two is the start of a number is like 19 percent etc and, and you would say that there's no way this could happen but when you have a random population like ap data and, and when i say random some of it like rent payments are not random it's the same amount sure. but, yeah, but when yeah. you look across yeah um it becomes more randomized um, yeah, it's eerie how it plays in, but but we found it's almost better to look at that across companies as opposed to Benford's law itself. Like you, sorry, uh, within the company, so you can just say this was our trend of our digit patterns, uh, like the amounts. Let's kind of do that as well for um, that by quarter and see how things are changing. It can highlight things like duplicate payments and overpayments and. And, and just new trends that you didn't realize of things you're purchasing uh, over time. And so and it's been a minute since I've learned about Benford's Law. Actually, it was about five, six years ago, we were doing a, an analytics training with a software tool. So so if I understand Benford's Law at a, at a, at a high level, what we're saying is, hey, there's, there's a normal distribution that we would expect for the first digit of any number, right? About thirty percent. So, yeah, yeah, number normal, one normal is like thirty. Normal for ones, yep. normal for twos, yep. threes, yep. and so we kind of have a distribution chart. To say this is this is normal, and when we see things that are outside of that norm, we have concerns, right? I think Ben's for laws used is used quite a bit in fraud. It's used quite a bit, you know, to, to look for hey, this isn't how things normally behave, and and I think um, I, I think just to kind of follow up on what you're saying, um, you're 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 saying hey. You know, Ben's for Benford's law, it lines up really well. Like it's going to say, you know, 30% ones, 20%, whatever it is, right? 
Um, but even more effective would be to say, okay, well, let's just look at historically what's our distribution, right? right? right. So historically, yep. you know, how often are payments uh, or invoices or both or whatever activity coming in with, you know, a leading one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine digit. And when we start to see significant changes than what's historically happened, let's investigate, right? And that would be, I guess that would be kind of inductive, right? Like we're saying, we're saying, hey, when, when, when you know, if we're seeing something out of the norm, yep. I don't have a hypothesis of what it is. Like, I, exactly. I just know something's not normal. Um, right. And there could be a totally, um, uh, you know, innocuous cause for that. And if that's the case, great. I want to understand it. Or it could be something else. And, and I'm going to dig in and find out what it is. Is that a fair? Yeah, it, it's a very fair analysis. Yeah. yeah. And flipping it over to words. Uh, so the, the interesting thing is they've all taught us in school. You know, I was trained as an accountant and I, I guess, you know, I, I suppose you were as well, Ben. And many of us probably on the call have more of that accounting background, finance background. They always told us, follow the money follow the numbers. Uh, and when you look at a data set, uh, especially, you know, when you really look at a P2P data set and you, you analyze it, there's actually a lot more text in there than you would ever realize, uh, be it line notes and, uh, you know, the description field for an invoice where they may type in some yeah. notes about it uh, or tra yeah. Yeah, travel expenses, et cetera. Th those fields can be 500 characters long, you know, where they're typing, whereas like the amount field is like 16 characters, long, you know, long, wide. And, uh, you know, so you'd be amazed to say or, or to learn that when you look at text versus number data in the world, it's like 80% text is the, you know, the, the analysis done. And even when you look at AP data, you'd be surprised to see it, but, or to think it, but it ends up becoming around, you know, at least 60% of the data. However, most of us never look at that and analyze that data. Um, but, but I'll give you an example here. And I, I think it, it, probably relates it in in my example it's more emails that we're analyzing and i'm not sure you know if is it common in contract auditing for procurement type employees to get some of their emails um in my case the legal team reached out to us this is one of these fraud ones where there was suspicion of some um playing games with vendors with procurement so we were able to get their email box and look at it um but i i think there are yeah, some companies out there we do quite a bit yeah. of email auditing um, more on the, actually the, the retail accounts payable side is probably the most common spot where we're looking at you know deals that are negotiated between buyers and vendors um and you know promotions and things like that so yeah. obviously there's some controls there but i'd say i'd say more of our retail more of our large retail clients on the ap side than not we actually gather email data and we're we have a tool that we're you know we're mining and doing ocr and and great. got a whole situation there so so yeah it's definitely applicable but go on no it's great it's great to hear in a way and i'm not trying to you know open us up to big brother or something like that here uh it, it's more when you can analyze that type of data you can find more trends uh yeah. in that text data than anywhere uh again dating myself but we used to allow the recovery auditors into the procurement managers offices they'd watch them but they would actually go through and find all the post-it notes because a lot of these deals at the time were like written down on post-it <laughs> notes and, and never made it into the system um 
but uh, anyway, but I but, bet that was uh, an effective approach. Uh, I bet it was. Yeah, I, I mean, it I'd, was. I'd, I'd be, if, if I could turn this camera around, you might find a few. Yeah, uh, exactly. And that were material for me. Exactly, and and I mean, it it, it you understand it. Uh, the more we get into business, it it just we're all time bankrupt. We don't have time to enter them all in. Uh, but going down the text analytic approach. I looked at Benford's law, digital, what they call also digital analysis, because you're looking at that. And it's almost like an atomic way of looking at the data. Like if you have, if a number is, a, you know, is more of a number, this is going atomic on it and, and looking at the digits. Going atomic on the words, you can look at the first two uh, letters or the last two letters, and you'd be surprised. Uh, I've done things like my own emails where I've looked at it over time and realize that uh, you know at certain times my uh, word usage would change. Um, so and kind of relating that to this, uh, where we got the email boxes of, of five procurement managers, and uh, it was at an organization that that was suspected some fraud, but couldn't you know they just they got a whistleblower tip, and and that's many times how something is found, um, but they do need to find evidence. So we analyzed the data, and even though it kind of relates back to my emails, my last name is Lanza, so Z-A is the last two digits or, or characters, but that's not common, I mean, to have Z-A as the yeah, last two characters last of a name, word. Yeah. yeah, so in in out of the five, three of them had uh, pizza, so the Z-A was very high on their... Uh, last two letters, and they had the word pizza in there. So uh, they they were constantly talking about we need to go to California pizza uh, and and go eat. And and they went down that uh, we we analyzed this, and it was almost uh, something where weekly they were doing this. Um, and maybe that's not odd, but what we found odd was that word was never used by anybody else, you know, in, in so it was kind of a, so these guys are is, like the biggest proponents of California pizza kitchen. There you go. Yeah. I did, well, didn't want to say it, but something yeah, else yeah. Going on. <laughs> exactly. So what was happening and, uh, you know, with that, call it uh, thread, they ended up interviewing the three and they said, we know about the California Pizza Kitchen. And in that case, uh, one of the three broke down in the interview and explained how they were uh, collecting money uh, from a vendor to, to kind of work a deal with them. And, and uh, it, it ended up uh, opening up the other two to it. Uh, but it all started with the data analytics uh, that, that drove that finding. Now that, again, going down that fraud route, but I, I think just understanding purchasing patterns, understanding what new things that companies are buying that they weren't buying in the past, uh, and just in, in some comforting way too, uh, by looking at the digital, the textual analytics, some of the other trending, at least an organization can also report back to their you know higher ups in the organization that things are generally uh, placid in this, you know, that, that we don't, not everywhere needs concern. And we don't have to also, back to some of the things you noted, you know, we can use the data to really drive some of those contract audits or some of the other focus areas within the organization. And, and when someone says, well, how'd you get to this? You could at least show data that would support why you're going down that line of questioning or, you know, deciding to prioritize things. 
And I like that a lot. I like that a lot. So well, I know we're, we're running pretty close on time. Um, I, I, uh, I, I kind of had, I have a note here kind of on, on conclusion. I, I wanted to ask you about uh, an analogy on the car's compute, computer diagnostics. So you, you, you'd kind of discussed an analogy when we were talking before. Um, so in closing, I think, I think it's a good, good one to kind of frame up, but yeah. uh, kind of walk through that analogy, if, if you don't mind. The, the yeah. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll try to tie in something else to it, but yeah. So we all bring our car in for uh, a review at, at every now and then, be it at each oil change. And folks will do a 10-point inspection of the car, you know, and kind of, you know, kick in the tires, so to speak. And, and, and through that, they will find things that they need to definitely change. But I think most of it, if you really ask the technician that they're kind of coming to is, is uh, tapping into that computer. Many of you, you can buy this tool online these days and you can like do it yourself for your own car. Um, what's nice about that is not only does it give you some of the codes that are coming up, but it can give you more of like a trending over time of how many times that code's coming up over you know the last say three months uh, since the last oil change. And it just gives you a more fuller picture of, of what's happening versus you know, a car that doesn't have a computer on it, I'm really dating myself, but an older antique type car that you pretty much are having to inspect everything or, you know, take everything apart manually to get into it. The, the computer data gives you a, an ability to kind of very quickly, um, you know, as, as quickly as kind of uh, taking two prongs and putting it onto the, the computer, understanding what's in there. Uh, so, I, I, you know, one thing to note here is that maybe don't rely on just one report either or one analysis to drive it, uh, you know, drive your conclusion around risk. Uh, one of the things that we'll do is we actually build models of scoring uh, for things like cost recovery or transforming the financial process itself. And we'll take all those report ideas, you know, some of the ones I've mentioned, uh, and some of the inductive analysis, and, and just put it into a scoring model and say, you know, each report gets 5%, let's say, and there's 20 reports, and score every vendor. And from yeah. that, you'd be surprised how accurate that can be in yeah. identifying vendors that you know, when they have all of these flags or symptoms, it kind of goes back to the car or the blood panel analogy that there is something really wrong, you know, with those suppliers versus everyone else that doesn't have that, that sort of diagnostic. I love it. I love it. I'm definitely, you know, after this discussion, I'm definitely going to try to look into this, uh, this text-based Benfords. I, I, you know, like I said, we, we use quite a bit of, of analytics on emails and reviews. Um, I'd be interested to see you, you know, using that approach. Cause I, I believe you, like, I mean, it, it makes sense, but it, it also doesn't seem logical. I mean, like, it seems, it seems like I can't believe it, but at the same time, I mean, if I've seen Benford's like we, we, we did some mm -hmm. tests to kind of prove it out. It, it, it is weird. It's creepy when you see how well it, it actually follows it. I'm, I'm interested to see how that works on, on the, the data uh, on, on the non um, numerical data, but the actual text-based data. So, yeah. And, um, and just summarizing, yeah. if you have some tools to be able to summarize those words, all you have to do is strip it down to those first and, you know, two first letters, first letter. Yeah, the za. exactly. You got to find the za, right? Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm definitely going to want to get, so the other thing, I, the, the other discussion I want to have with you in the future is around kind of the sales pitch 
for? Because I, I really like that in your book, right? Like kind of what's the sales pitch? What's the value proposition of, of recovery audit? So so I want to table that for our next discussion. Uh, if, if not the next one, then the one after that, because I, I do really like the way that you've you've kind of summarized that within the book. Um, you know, what, I, I've used a lot of those principles as I've kind of talked Good. to people at conferences Good. and conventions. Um, but, but that's for another day, but, uh, really, you know, Rich really appreciate your time today. I think, uh, I, I think in general, this is the right way to, 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 to approach things and to think of things at the beginning of audits, you know, how can we use large data, data analytics, um, whether you're a recovery auditor or you somehow, you know, fell across this podcast and you're just in, in the general wor world of audit, how can we use that to determine where we're going to look and how can we, in addition to using a deductive, which I think is kind of more natural for us how can we use inductive approaches to kind of let issues um the term uses bubble up as we you know as we as we perform our reviews i i think that's really the kind of the takeaway from from my perspective on what i'd hope someone get out of this is you know looking at the process you're doing how can we do more up front how can i do more data analytics up front and how can i have um, a more you know broad approach on data analytics to, to, to be able to, to deliver, uh, you know, a better audit to, to, to perform my work and become a better professional. So, yeah. I Thank like you it. very much. Yeah, no, I agreed. I, I think it helps every step of the process, the planning, the execution, the, you know, talking to the client afterwards and giving those metrics at the end of it all. It's a, it's a real differentiator to, to yeah. You know, it was a differentiator back in the early nineties when I was doing it. And I think it's still a differentiator today. I think it's becoming, um, I mean, it, it's, it's becoming more effective, more data is being captured, right? I mean, and more and yeah. more and more data is being captured. I mean, so um, yeah, I mean, data analytics is obviously a buzzword, um, but it sounds like you were, it sounds like you were kind of keyed in on it well before it was a buzzword before it even existed. I mean, you know, it was, it was, you say it was computer assisted audit, um, uh, tools. Yes, tools, it was right? cats. Yeah. We called it yeah. cats at the so, time. And yep. so yeah, you were you were into it before it was cool. <laughs> so <laughs> awesome, Rich. Well, hey, I appreciate the time and uh, thank you, and look forward to to having you on as a guest in the future. Great. Thank. Thanks so Bye. much. Thanks, Ben.